You're listening to Good Shepherd Brentwood's Sermon Feed. Today's sermon was preached by Mother Natalie Van Kirk and recorded on the third Sunday of Advent, December 11th, 2022. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. This third Sunday in Advent is called Gaudate Sunday. Gaudate is an imperative, a command. It means rejoice. But the question is, what exactly are we rejoicing about? Well, the answer seems really kind of obvious, doesn't it? We're supposed to be rejoicing that it's almost Christmas, and we can soon have what my children used to call a birthday party for baby Jesus, right? But today's readings don't mention the baby at all. In fact, the readings for Advent are never about the birthday party for baby Jesus. Instead, the readings are always about the day when the Lord will come again, some future time when the Lord will come, as we say in the creeds, in power and great glory, and his kingdom shall have no end. We look for the day when the blind will see, when the lame will walk, the dead are raised, and the poor even are assured of their favor and salvation. That will be the day when the kingdom comes and all of creation has been made new. And that final coming of Christ is why the church is told to rejoice today. You see, Advent faces us in both directions. It's the time that we remember that we live between the two comings of Christ. That first coming is just the beginning of the final coming. But it's a lot easier to look at that sweet little baby in the hay than it is to think about or to believe in the return of the resurrected and incarnate God, isn't it? It's a lot easier to think about a sweet little baby in the hay than it is to think about a Lord that will come to judge us and to renew all of creation when he returns. We don't we don't like to think about that. We don't like to think about a Lord who judges, and we don't really know quite what to do with it. What's more, you know, the only people we know that have actually believed in that business of Christ's return are some people who wrote a bunch of really strange novels, and we don't have to believe in those. Isn't it all that return of Christ stuff in scriptures just just a metaphor for people who really weren't smart enough to know any better? We have no evidence other than the evidence of Scripture that human history will be brought to an end in God's purposes. We're pretty sure that we can only bring human history to an end by either blowing up or poisoning the planet, and God won't have anything to do with that. But the witness of Scripture... And the teachings of our Lord himself say that indeed Jesus Christ will come again. 
Yes, he did mean to say that human history will have an end and it will be brought about by God's actions, not ours. And yes, when it comes, not one of us will miss it, whether we're alive or dead, because we will all be there. Further, Christ is promised to be with us unto the end of the age. And so he comes and he is with us right now. He comes to every human heart that opens to him. He comes gently and tenderly to reign as Lord and judge. Now, as Protestants, we have a terrible tendency to think that when the Lord ascended into heaven, he, sent it, he went up there and, and we locked a trap door behind him, and he stays there. He doesn't communicate with us. He doesn't talk to us. We can't communicate with him because he's not coming back until the second coming. But that's a false picture of Christ. He is with us here. He gives us his body and blood every week in Holy Communion. He is always available to us. The trap door is our invention, not Christ's. So we need not be separated from him now or in the future. But Matthew's gospel, the one that we read that this morning, is the gospel of Jesus the teacher. The Jesus who tells us who he is, tells us what is expected of us as his followers, and what it will be like when he comes again. Jesus tells us all the way through Matthew's gospel what it costs to follow him and what we have to do if we want to be sheep of his flock. It tells us what we neglect if we are to be the goats of a different flock. And here in today's reading, he tells us what the kingdom is like and what it will be. In today's gospel, John's disciples have come to find Jesus. John sent them to him from prison to find out who Jesus really is. And these are questions that all of us eventually have to ask. Are you the one? Are you for real? John's disciples want to know if the Messiah had finally really shown up. They wanted to know for sure that this was the real thing, that the things that Isaiah and the prophets had promised were here in the presence of Christ. Or did they have to keep waiting until someone else came along? John and his disciples had been working hard, some of them for many years before Jesus ever arrived on the scene. They had given up everything to call the people of God to repent and live as the people of God were supposed to live. They gave themselves up completely to this mission because they were horrified at how low the people that God had chosen had sunk under oppression and corruption and unbelief. They wanted to help those people get ready for the coming of the Lord that was promised in the prophets. So when they heard that Jesus had been going around healing in the name of God's kingdom, they wanted to know what was behind it all. They uh, found him, as scripture says, in the middle of some little unnamed town in Galilee. Jesus and the disciples had been traveling through these little towns, preaching and teaching and healing. And when John's disciples found him, he was surrounded 
I imagine, by all these broken people, people who were sick or bad or crazy or ugly or just plain desperate. It was exactly the sort of stuff that they had been giving their lives over to getting fixed. And they probably waded into some sort of fiesta or a town party, at least a good-sized block party, with Jesus in the middle of it. It was a fiesta peopled by people who were dancing and singing and turning cartwheels. Was the Messiah to be found in a place like this? But here was Jesus, surrounded clearly by people who needed fixing, laughing and smiling and hugging and healing, and the crowd never seemed to get any smaller. They just kept coming and coming. It didn't look like anything was actually getting fixed. And I'm fairly certain John's disciples didn't know what to make of that. What they were sure of is that the Messiah, when he came, would be the fixer, the fixer of all corruption, of all immorality and oppression, not of sick and crazy and poor people in a little town. So they asked, look, Jesus, just, just tell us straight, are you the Messiah or aren't you? And Jesus, instead of answering them directly, says to them, tell John what you see. See what I am doing. Open your heart and then you will see and hear and maybe even dance and sing. And in bits and pieces of quotations from the prophets Isaiah and Malachi, he reminds them what the prophets had said about the Messiah and about the days when the Lord would come. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless will sing for joy. The ransomed of the Lord will meet with joy and gladness, and sorrow and mourning will be no more. Those people who were outside dancing and singing and turning cartwheels had seen the Messiah and the coming of his kingdom, and they were celebrating the presence of the Lord. Now, I suspect that John's disciples also had a hard time seeing this because they were looking for the Lord in a place where everything would be ordered and clean and healthy, where the Messiah would get to decide who was fit for the kingdom and who was not, and, and they could help get people straightened out and cleaned up and fit for the presence of the Lord. They were looking for him there so that they could help out. And that is why he didn't see them. Or they didn't see him, rather. <laughs> Just like us, most of us anyway, John's disciples wanted to do good and to be good. It's why they had followed John in the first place. And they were not unlike us when they thought to themselves or when we think to ourselves, I'm sure Jesus wants me to help others. So I better get busy. I'll try and figure out what Jesus would do if he were here, and then I'll go and do it. And then I'll look, I'll look around for some way to make a difference, wishing, wishing all along that, you know, it would be so helpful if Jesus would just send me a text or an email and, and tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do so then I would know that I was doing it right and trying hard enough. 
And when we do that, we miss the party because we want to come as co-hosts. It's easier to stay in control of things when we are in control of the party. But finding the party is not about helping Jesus fix everything and everyone around us. We will not see the party when our first concern is our own actions and our own goodness. Our invitation to the fiesta of the Messiah's coming isn't an invitation to a celebration of our own generosity. It's of our own ability to fix things and do nice things for others. If we want to celebrate our generosity, though the party may look quite cheerful on the outside, on the inside it will end up being all tinsel and plastic and cocktail party chatter. And that sort of party leaves you exhausted and unsatisfied because the party will have been about us and about what we can do and not about what Christ does through us. Just as that first advent was hidden from John's disciples, it will be hidden from us until we can be like people in those little towns that Jesus and the disciples were traveling through, rejoicing in the Messiah's presence. Christmas and the advent of the Lord only come to those who are poor in spirit, who can admit that they need Christ. It isn't about God needing us, but about our need for God. And that means that we have to finally be willing to admit that we too suffer from diseases and deformities and demons that only Christ can heal. Some of our problems may be physical, but many of them will be spiritual. And Christ intends to heal all of them if we will only allow it. Admitting that we are not, at the moment, whole or perfect is hard. We would rather keep up the facade. But people in here who have been through a 12-step program will tell you how futile it is to try and keep up that facade. Until we can admit that we are broken, we cannot be healed, and we will not know true joy because that only comes in wholeness. We must allow God to heal that which is broken in us, and then we will begin to see what God is doing, beginning in our own hearts and moving outward from there. There will be joy in what we do with and for others, because we will be free of the responsibility to fix them. It will be Christ's power working through us that makes the changes. We will be truly free to love, to dance, to sing with them, and to celebrate the victory of God. You know, I used to tell my, stu my students in my spiritual formation classes in the seminary that before they went off and got themselves ordained, they needed to have some words written right across their palm. Those words were, it's not about me. Their ministry is not about them. My ministry is not about me. And your ministry isn't about you. For all of us, it isn't about what we can do for Jesus, but what Jesus does through us. 
If we want to be part of that fiesta where Jesus is, we must first invite Christ into our lives. You know, our Baptist brothers and sisters have this right. And as Episcopalians, we don't do it often enough. But we have to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. And saying that means we have to admit that we need Jesus. That admission will require humility and confession of our faults. Those who are self-sufficient and proud, those who have everything and can look down on others, they don't believe that they need God. And for them, there can be no abundance of God because they're pretty sure they've got it all already. For those, there will be no Advent. And if we are there, we will not know Emmanuel, God with us, unless we first admit that we need him. Today, the church is called to rejoice in the advent of Emmanuel. And we are called to rejoice in the coming and the fulfillment of the kingdom. There's a party going on. Are you coming? Thanks for listening. If you're interested in hearing our sermons in real time, you can check us out at our website, www.goodshepherdbrentwood.org, or attend online during our 1015 Sunday live stream on YouTube. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Good Shepherd Brentwood. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you'd like to meet with one of our clergy, you can email us at office at goodshepherdbrentwood.org. Or if you're interested in visiting in person or have questions about our programs and services, you can text 615-637-3738 where you'll be contacted by our staff. We'd love to meet you.